Good morning, Cross Point. Again, thank you so much for worshiping together with us. Children, you can be released. You'll see Miss Jenny in the back. We'll lead you guys to your classes. And for the rest, if you will turn with me to 1 John as we continue in our series that we just started last week through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So I do want to make aware again, if you do not have one of these scripture journals, um, Johnny is here to help. I think we have five left. So the first five hands that go up, if you do not yet have this, we'll get one, but we definitely encourage you to grab that. There was also someone who asked for a breakdown of how we're going to be preaching through this series so that you can be reading on your own in preparation. So back at the Connect table, we've created this um, bookmark that just simply has which verses we're going to be preaching on in the coming weeks. And so I would encourage you to, to grab this. I'm just using it as a place marker um, in the journal to, to follow along, to read ahead, to be like reading in the passage so that as we gather on Sunday, your heart has been cultivated, prepared for what we're going to be preaching on that Sunday. So last week I had mentioned that that first John is kind of this poetic sermon. It's a church. He's writing to these churches that he's helped plant throughout Ephesus. This city that, that, that was known, it had one of the seven wonders of the world. And, and he's writing to these churches because they've just gone through this difficult season where people have not only walked away from the church, but they have walked away from the faith. And he's writing this redemptive treatise to, to kind of cultivate their hearts, to deepen their understanding of who God is, to examine their lives and, and how they're living in light of who God is, and then to walk in faithfulness together. So as we kind of like, last week we had the introduction, but as we get into the heart of First John this week, I just kind of want to give you a little bit of background as to what you can expect, because First John is very different than some of the other epistles that you may be familiar with in the New Testament. Those that were written by the Apostle Paul, like Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, like you, you name them, that a lot of those, if you're familiar with those, are very linear, Right? You can almost imagine them like links of a chain being connected together. It'll say, this is true, and this is true, but this is not. Therefore, this is true, and therefore, this is true. And, and as you kind of put all of these things together, we see this chain of logic being built. And it can be helpful to understand the breakdown of the sentences in that. First John is different. First John isn't that. First John, it's, it's more like a flower. It's been called, rather than a linear epistle, it's called a, a circular or amplified epistle. And so if you imagine this flower, the hub of it is an idea, right? But imagine it just has one petal. You're going to be like, something's weird about that, right? But then you see all these petals that are essentially the same. This redundancy repeated over and over again that highlights, and then you see the beauty in this flower. This is how 1 John is written. This poetic sermon that's around these two ideas, that God is light and that God is love. And, and we kind of have this breakdown that you'll see up there, that it should be on the screen if you're kind of like looking of just the, the structure of the book. 5 in chapter 1 through chapter 3 verse 10 is talking about this one idea. 
God is light, and it's going to be amplified over and over and over again in different ways, contrasting with one another, using these extremes to help us understand this one point. And then in verses chapter 3, 11 through 5, 17, it's, it's magnifying that God is love, who He is, and then how we should live in response to that. And then you'll have the bookends of the introduction and the conclusion. Even the design elements, if you notice, of the book cover. The, the series graphic, you'll see these themes replayed. The, the of light coming off the circular nature of the flowers on the cover to help remind us the structure of this book as we walk through it together. And so what I want to do this morning is let's pray. And then I want to invite us to stand in the reading of God's Word. So let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this time together this morning. And I pray that as we open your word, your word that has been breathed out and it is profitable for us in, in teaching and in training, reproof, Lord, correction, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning from your word. And in Jesus' name, amen. So please stand with me as we read 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from Him, and, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with, with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In the blood of Jesus, His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is God's word. You can be seated. Have you ever seen a, a child, they're doing something, and you notice, and sometimes it's an adult too, they're doing something, and you notice that it's wrong, and you try to correct them. And the first response out of their mouth is like, I know, I know, you don't have to tell me. Have you seen it? Heard it, said it, maybe, right? Sometimes I feel that way when we come to passages of the Bible that are familiar. Like familiarity breeds complacency. We think we know it. And then have you ever found yourself reading a little bit quicker? Like, yeah, 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 I know this part. Yeah, 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 I got it, I got it. I know, I know. You don't need to tell me again. I want to encourage us this morning to slow down. Because I think for some, this could be familiar. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. Walk in the light as he is in the light. They're, they're phrases that we may be familiar with, but I want to slow down to ensure that we are actually understanding what he's saying, the, the heart of it, so that we can walk in faithfulness to what this passage has for us this morning. And it begins not with us walking in, in the light. 
It begins with who God is. Look at this in verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from Him. Who's Him? If you go back to 1-1, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen, which we've touched with our hands, we've heard with our ears, we've seen with our eyes. This life, eternal life, was made manifest in Jesus Christ. And this message we heard from Jesus. And now we proclaim it to you. Now, here's where you're going to have to bear with me because I debated whether or not I was even going to share this because I start to geek out when I'm doing study, right? So you just have to like bear with me a little bit. This word proclaim is slightly different by one letter in the original language than it is in verses two and three. And it changes its meaning slightly. This proclaim, what what, what it's saying is the literal translation would be to herald special news. Think of the the guy walking out into the, the town, opening the scroll of what the king has written and reading it to the people as they gather around. This is the, the proclamation, the, this declaration of news from the king. For us, it's that emergency broadcast network, right? Like that hideous sound on the radio that interrupts whatever you are listening to, whatever TV show you are watching, and all of a sudden that buzzer thing goes off, and it's like, here's something you need to know. It's not just some random announcement. This is a proclamation of utmost importance. And this message that was heard and then proclaimed with such urgency is this, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And then I'm kind of like, that's it? (laughs) Like what? This is the special news? This is the bulletin that you interrupted everything to declare? What does this mean? And that's where we can just read it. Yeah, 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 God is light, in Him is no darkness, and move on. But what does it mean? This same author who wrote 1 John also wrote the Gospel of John. And in chapter 8, verse 12, he, he records Jesus saying this. And he spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so I'm kind of like, okay, Jesus said this. I am the the light of the world. That's this beautiful thing that we're also aware of. But then it's also interesting of not just what Jesus said, but when he said it. See, he said this at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a, a celebration in Jewish culture where they remembered God's faithfulness to the nation, leading them out of slavery in Egypt. And remember, God led them by a cloud, a a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so that by the light of the fire, they would be led through the wilderness. And so as part of this festival of remembrance, there were these tall lampstands in the courtyard of the temple that they would light during the Feast of Tabernacles. And historians said it was so bright in Jerusalem that it lit up every courtyard in the city. It was meant to be a light to the Jewish nation. And then here Jesus is, in that moment, in that setting, pointing to himself, saying, I am the light 
of the world for everyone, not just for the Jews, not just for the nation, not just for the city of Jerusalem. I am the light of the world for everyone. And we think about the weight of this claim. That Jesus saying that he is the only one who is holy enough, self-existent through all eternity, that Jesus alone is the source and sustenance of all life, that he alone can free us out of the bondage and slavery to sin, that as it says in Revelation, that he alone will be the light of heaven. There will be no need for a sun or a moon because God will be its light. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now do you feel it? Now do you feel like what's, what's being proclaimed in who God is? So what then does it mean? If this is true of who God is, what does it mean then to walk in the light? Now John, where he begins is by telling us what it's not. And notice what it says then in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, but while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. What does it mean then to walk in darkness or to walk in light? Because sometimes I feel like walking in the light can be reduced to the, the yellow brick road of Oz. Right with Dorothy and her friends following this path through Oz. So they reach the Emerald City where they'll have their wishes granted by the great wizard. And we kind of treat walking in the light similar to that. Right? We have this yellow brick road of do's and don'ts. And if you stay on the path and do what you're supposed to and don't do what you're not supposed to, you'll walk in the light. But if you step off that path... Now you're into darkness, so get back on the path. And we reduce walking in the light to just following a list of do's and don'ts. And when we do that, we miss the heart of God in these verses completely. Completely. I want you to see what I mean. Notice how verse 6 begins. If we say we have fellowship with God... See, that's why we can't read too quick. Do you remember this word from last week, koinonia? From my heart to yours, this closeness, this oneness with God. If we say we have this intimate relationship with God, not just following a checklist, not just following teachings, but we're saying we have fellowship with God. And yet we're walking in darkness. It, we lie. The truth is not in us. So I want to paint another picture in your minds as we walk through this passage. Every Thanksgiving, our family goes up to visit our family up in West Virginia. And over Thanksgiving, my dad and I go to my uncle's cabin where we hunt for deer. And we wake up long before the sun rises. We're walking up into the mountains and we typically each have headlamps. But there's times when we get hot and we turn off the headlamps and when it's a moonless night and it's cloudy so you can't see any stars, the, the darkness is thick. Like I've stretched out my hand and I can't see it at all. It's just complete darkness. 
And I want you to imagine for a moment that now you are in that place. These strange woods that, that, that you don't know. You don't know which way is north, south, east, or west. You can't even see your own extremities. You're standing in complete darkness. And if you try to go too fast, you're going to trip. You're going to hit a tree. You know that there's bear in these woods. You know that there are mountain lions and bobcats and coyotes that can see you, smell you. And you're standing there in the darkness. What do you do? And then a man appears. And he doesn't just have a headlamp. It's like he is glowing light. And it is so pure. It is so bright that as it illuminates the trees, the trees aren't even casting a shadow. That the leaves on top of one another don't even have a shadow being cast. It is just purely saturated in light. And all of a sudden you can see. And then he begins to walk. What do you do in that moment? Right? You're like, hey, nice, nice to meet you. I'm just going to go stand over here in the darkness. You're kind of like, hey, ho, hold up. <laughs> Let me kind of come along so I can see what's happening here. This is what it's talking about. The one who is light in the darkness. Walking with God in light is fellowship. It's not just walking along a path of do's and don'ts. It is walking with the person of Jesus Christ. And to reduce it to just a list of do's and don'ts is to miss the heart completely. But what then does it look like today to walk in darkness? If we say we have fellowship with God, yeah, I'm following Jesus, but you are walking your own path. We're lying to ourselves. I came across a quote this week that I think illustrates this well. Sadiqa Hamden, in her book entitled Happy Am I, Holy Am I, Healthy Am I, wrote this. Walk your own yellow brick road. If you can't find one, spray paint your own way to happiness. If that doesn't work, buy yellow shoes. This is the world's understanding of what it looks like to walk in darkness, to not follow Christ, to not say that, yes, he's away. Like, who's he to come and tell me which way to walk through these woods? I'll pave my own path. This is my, the, the goal isn't to follow Christ as a person. It's my own happiness. And the goal shifts. And think about what this is saying. And so I'll pave my own way. I'll declare what's right and wrong for me through this darkness. And if that doesn't work, I'll spray paint it. And if that doesn't work, then I'm just going to wear yellow shoes so that whatever I feel like in the moment that makes me happy, I'm going to do. Because isn't that walking in the light? This is what the world would sell to you as the goal of life. Your own comfort, your own happiness and navigate whatever makes you feel good in the moment. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who say darkness is light and light is darkness. Woe to you. What are we following? Who are we following? 
in this. If we claim to have a relationship with Jesus, and yet we find ourselves playing in the darkness of our own sinful desires, then we must question whether or not we are truly following Jesus. I want you to hear this. If, if we claim, because I've been here, claim to be a Christian, this is how I grew up. This is my testimony here. This is how I grew up. Being a Christian, growing up in a Christian home, playing the game, but at a certain point, when it came to a crossroads, I was on my own path, pursuing my own things. And God says, if you're going to claim my name, you have to follow me. And it brought me to this crossroads in life. Are you just claiming Jesus in name for your own benefit or because you are truly following him? And here's the thing. I'm glad John didn't stop here. Because if he stopped here, I think all of us would just kind of be like, uh-oh. Right? Like, we know our hearts, our wonderings, and, and desires. I think there would be part that would be like, oh no, am I actually following Jesus or am I not? And fear and condemnation would be, begin to sink in. And so there's two thoughts that come to mind. Number one, if you are feeling conviction, I think some of you need to feel conviction. I don't want to just gloss over that. That if God is really challenging your heart, are you just claiming Him in name but walking your own path? Or are you truly following Christ? I want that conviction to pierce your heart. To pierce the marrow from your bone. And lead you to repentance in the grace of Jesus Christ. There's others who don't feel conviction as much as they feel condemnation. Fear. What does this mean? And that's where I want us to keep reading. To see when John did not stop here. What it looks like then to walk in relationship. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Again, we see that word fellowship. Remember I said in the New Testament it appears 20 times. It's four times. Short verses. Fellowship is a major theme here. Not only will you have fellowship with God, this oneness from my heart to yours with God, but also with one another. That There's a unity that happens in the body of Christ. And I'm sure that we've all experienced this when someone that used to walk with Christ has walked away from the faith. And it's like something in that relationship is irreplaceably, it's changed. Because what they value, what they long, the jokes they tell, the lifestyle they lead is completely different. It's like this unity of heart that we once shared is what this passage is calling us to. That we have this fellowship, not only with God as we walk in the light, but also with one another. And then it goes to this curious, curious verse. The way it ends there in verse 7, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 
that as we walk in the light, we are cleansed from sin. What does it mean? See, this is where I really, it's helpful to go a bit slower because there's so many misunderstandings that I've seen over the years. See, in pride, I've seen some who say, well, because I follow Jesus and I walk in the light, I no longer sin this side of heaven. I'm perfect. And I know for some that may seem crazy until you're sitting in the living room of a couple whose husband believes that he has not sinned in months. And you're trying to work on reconciliation because it's like, don't you believe the Bible? It says I've been cleansed from all sin. Wasn't Jesus sufficient to cleanse me from all sin? And in pride, he saw not only that he was cleansed from the power of sin in his life, but also the presence of all sin in his life. Now, pride can lead us to to believe things about ourselves that are untrue. Now, at the same time, Fear can do the exact opposite. We see this, this view of perfection, this pure light, and you're just like, God's perfect. And I see all my faults, and I see all my shame, and all my failures. And the weight of perfectionism is constantly bearing down on your soul, doubting your relationship with Jesus. Because how could He stand to be in my presence when I have so many faults, when I've fallen so many times? Like I feel like this perpetual failure. So maybe I'm not really following Him. And then fear and condemnation begins to sink in. And this is where in verse 8, I feel like John is just preaching to our hearts where we are called from this cold condemnation to the warm comfort of God's embrace. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Think about that. If we are walking with Jesus in His light, Here's the assumption. You're a sinner. (laughs) Right? Like, this is the assumption. Of course you have. And if you say you don't have any sin, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to others. The truth is not in you. Walking with Jesus means that you see your sin. So I want you to imagine for a moment. Again, you're standing in, in the dark woods. Surrounded by darkness, unable to see your own extremities. Jesus is there and he is light. And you are walking with him and then he turns and he faces you. And he says, your hands are dirty. And you look down and there's dirt and grime on your hands, like caked under your fingernails. You couldn't see it when you were in the darkness because you couldn't even see your own hand. But now, standing in his presence, you see what's there. And then if you turn around and you're like, they're not dirty. It's all good. We lie. And pride will make you want to run from the light. You're walking with Jesus, and he's like, that, look at your hands, they're dirty. And you're just like, no, they're not. And if you're going to call them dirty, well, then I'm not happy. So I'm just going to go back over here into the darkness where I can't see it and pretend like everything's okay. 
To walk in the light is to have our sin exposed. Fear would cause us to say, when that happens, then he must hate me. He must be disappointed in me. He must be mad at me. Look how dirty your hands are. And we feel it in this accusatory tone. But in reality, as it says in Hebrews, that God disciplines those whom he loves. It's like a father to a child who says, your hands are dirty. Let's clean them at the sink before dinner. And cleans their hands. It's not out of this anger. It's out of a love the love and mercy of a father. It's not shame. It's not condemnation. It's love. And mercy is calling out. This is what I pray we hear this morning and see in what it means to walk in the light. In verse 9 when it says, if we our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. Again, what does it mean? Because so often there are churches and beliefs about what confession is that are untrue and unhelpful. Some of those are. The wrong ideas would include that you need to use special words or phrases to confess your sin to God. That you need a priest or a pastor to somehow pronounce absolution, freedom from your sin over you as you confess them to me or some other priest or pastor. So that you would be freed from the penalty of sin. It's wrong to think that then a penance must be imposed upon you by a pastor or a priest, a way for you to work off what you've done wrong. You've done this wrong, okay, now go do this to counteract the balances of right and wrong, to close that gap of the distance your sin has placed between you and God. You need to now do these things. Say these things. It is untrue. These are wrong ideas of what confession is. That if we confess our sins, the biblical understanding of what this word means in the original language is to agree with. To speak the same language is what it's saying. Imagine, again, back in the woods, walking with Jesus. He's there. He turns to you. He says, your hands are dirty. What do you say? Do you lie and say, no, they're not? Confession is when he says, your hands are dirty. You're like, my hands are dirty. I'm sorry. That's it. That's confession. It's not going on a witch hunt for every fault, every failure in your past. Like, I fear that if God were to show me everything that's wrong with me, every fault, failure, wrong motive that I had, at the same time, I would be crushed, completely and totally crushed. But God in His mercy doesn't do that. As we're walking with Him, His light exposes areas in my life where He's like, this is dirty, this is sinful. Confession is like, 
responding and agreeing with God. That is dirty. That is a sin. And I'm sorry. And then, that's what we do. This is what it looks like then to walk in the light. He exposes it. We agree with it. And then, look at what God does. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from His from all unrighteousness. No pastor needed. No special penance performed to earn God's favor so that you can walk with Him. When we confess, we are agreeing with God and recognizing that He is faithful. This is what it says. He is faithful. And He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't run away. It's not like he's standing there. He's like, your hands are dirty. You're like, my hands are dirty. And he's like, ooh, get away from me. Your hands are dirty. Why are you following me? But we feel that way, don't we sometimes? Like he shows us our sin. And we want to run, and what he's doing is he's pressing in, and he's like, no, when we confess that sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's what he longs to do because that's what he did on the cross. When he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for that sin. He's not saying, ooh, he's like, I already died for it. My blood is sufficient to cover and to cleanse you from all sin, from all unrighteousness. And when we admit to what He is showing us through confession. He is faithful and He's merciful. He doesn't just stand there and He's like, your hands are dirty. Yep, my hands are dirty. Okay, let's keep going. He doesn't leave us like that. He cleanses us. He's not just pointing out our sin in anger, in rejection, but in love. Because He is righteousness. And He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. See, we don't need to pay for our sin. We don't need to pay a penance for our sin. Like, okay, we have this gap now between God because I did this wrong thing. It's been exposed. And okay, He's not abandoning me, but, but now there's this gap and I have to work this off. No, that's what Jesus did. He paid that debt. He paid the penalty so that you don't have to because you can't. He extends mercy towards your sin because Jesus took the punishment of those wrongs when He died on the cross. You are cleansed by the blood and covered in His righteousness. Can we just think on that for a moment? You are cleansed by His blood and covered in His righteousness made clean. Walking in the light is to walk with Jesus. Going where He goes, saying what He says, acknowledging that what He says is wrong is wrong and what He says is right is right and following Him in that. Not just a list of do's and don'ts. But Jesus, the person, is who we follow together. So I want us to think about this for a moment. 
I kind of have some three questions I want us to consider for this week practically. Like, okay, this is interesting. God is light. Don't walk in darkness. Walk in light. Like, what do we do with this? Is kind of just my question. So under the idea that God is light, <clears throat> I want to encourage you this week to prayerfully consider who or what you're following. And to pause, because I know everybody wants to give that Sunday school answer. I follow God like I'm a Christian. And like... But to, to actually, if, when you're not following Jesus, what are you following? Like, are you claiming to follow Jesus, but really walking a path towards your own happiness and comfort? And so you're saying one thing with your mouth, but actually if you look at the path you're walking, are you following Jesus? Or are you pursuing something else? Is God the light, that pillar of fire through the wilderness in the darkness? Or are you just sitting around in the darkness or playfully pursuing your own desires? Who or what are you following? This is the question I would encourage you to ponder this morning, to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. The second one is this. How will you start your day each day this week? What does it mean to walk in the light of relationship? This fellowship with God. If you say you have fellowship with God, if you say you have this relationship with God, what does that look like? How will you start and walk through your day? I don't know what this looks like for me. I don't know what's distractions for you, but this is what it looks like for me. I have two things that are the most distracting when it comes to being like following God on the day to day. One is my own agenda. I love checklists. I love checking them off. In our community group, I was just talking about it. If I do a task that wasn't on my checklist, I put it on my checklist so I can check it off because I just like it. It's how I'm built. But that can be what drives me day to day. What are my tasks to be done? And I can feel accomplished, right? I can be like, look at everything I accomplished, but was I faithful? to what God had for me that day? Or had I just completely forgotten that I was actually following Jesus because I was only following my to-do list? This is something I have to check in my heart. You may be different. I also have to check not just my own to-do list, but other people's expectations that get put on me. And then so then all of a sudden I'm like, well, I want to make them happy. And, and sometimes the way I want to make you happy is because I want you to like me. And so now I'm going to do these things because you want me to do them, because I want you to like me, but am I being faithful to what God has for me today? And I see this in Jesus' life. I've been reminded of it even just this past week that we studied in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, right? And then the next day, there's this whole crowd outside like waiting to be ministered to. It's like there's a crowd, here's a ministry. This is like a, a big tent revival happening here. And they're like, where's Jesus? We got stuff to do. And he's off in silence and solitude praying to the Father and in fellowship with the Father. And then he comes back and he's like, okay, we got to go. 
because we're supposed to be over here. And, and the disciples are like, but look at all this. Great things that we can be doing. See, we can, this is why I'm like, we can't go through this question too quick. What does it look like to walk in relationship, in the light of relationship? What are we actually following day to day? What's leading you, motivating you, guiding you, and what you're going to put your hands to in the coming days? And what does it mean to walk with Jesus in that? What does it mean to be aware? Like sometimes, I, the, the way, again, this looks for me is I have to pray like, Lord, here's my task. With wisdom, as best I understand it, here's what's before me. And I don't think that's wrong. But my prayer often has to be when there's an, an interruption, when something invades my schedule that I didn't plan on, would you give me patience and discernment to not get frustrated and see this as a problem? Would you give me discernment if this is something you have for me or if it's just a distraction from what I should be about? Sometimes just that simple prayer helps me walk with God in faithfulness to what He has me to put my hands to day in and day out. And I stumble when I fall. And so examine your heart at that level. Whatever your personality is, whatever those distractions are, what does it look like to walk in relationship with God? And then the final one. What does it look like or how do you respond when God exposes sin in your life? Because here's what's going to happen. As you follow Jesus, He is going to convict you of sin. In love. In mercy. And He's going to expose it and say, here it is. Now in pride... You're going to want to deny it and prove them wrong. Like, nah, uh. You don't have, why are you telling me that? I know, I know. I got this. And you're going to try to be a really, really good person for a couple days to prove that God is wrong and has no basis to convict you of sin. And meanwhile, the sin is lingering. So how will you respond? Will you respond in fear? He exposes sin. Are you just going to hide and feel condemnation and shame? Or will you feel the warmth of His mercy and grace? Will it lead you to confession, to agree with what God says is sin, is sin, to admit it, to ask forgiveness, and know and believe that He is faithful? He is just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness because He alone is sufficient. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for Your Word, for beautiful passages that are familiar for some but have such depth and meaning. Lord, I thank you that you are a light and in you is no darkness at all. I thank you that you are a light unto our path, leading us through this world that is a wilderness of darkness. Lord, would you help our hearts to desire and understand what it means to walk with you in the light of who you are not just being a good person, not just doing good things so we get good things. Lord, but because of who you are, 
to be with you, to know you. Lord, would you give us the humility when you convict us of sin to agree with you and to come before you allowing our hearts to receive the forgiveness that you so freely offer. To be covered in your righteousness, not not just trying to work it off ourselves, Lord. Lord, lead us and guide us in these coming days and weeks to walk with you in the plans that you have for us, Lord. Not our own agendas, not our own plans, but Lord, to walk with you. And in Jesus' name, amen.